You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Wayhai in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back with another episode uh, coming to you from the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, part two with my guest, Congressman J.C. Watts. Uh, 2019, you were inducted to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, but thanks for coming back and sitting with us. Uh, in part one, we talked about your football career, how you played for OU, got into it, and, and just had a love for football, traveled a little bit um, up to Canada and back, and then coming back to Oklahoma. So I guess we'll pick right up from then, coming back to Oklahoma and deciding to come back to have a family here, and, and why raise, you know, why come back to Oklahoma? You could have gone anywhere in the States. Well, Oklahoma is home, and um, you know my, my base was here mm-hmm. in, in the state. Today, I uh, probably where I've been over the last 30 years, my political base was Oklahoma, but my economic base was around the country. I had business uh, in Texas. I was in the John Deere business. I had stores down there until about um, a year ago. I, I sold those stores. And, you know, hitting the lecture circuit during doing conferences, associations, uh, that took me, you know, all, all over the United States and outside of the United States. And so um, I've, I've always um, made my living outside of the state of Oklahoma. Now, today I'm in the process of trying to raise what you call an in-state private equity fund. Okay. And, um, you know, my investors will be Oklahoma firms and Oklahoma companies. So, um, but Oklahoma's home. This is where my family is. I never lived in Canada. I had a 181-day work permit, so I kind of understand some of the immigration process because I could work for 181 days in Canada, and I could stay in Canada beyond that. I just couldn't. I couldn't work. So anyway, um, as the old saying goes, there's no... No place like home. And and when I came back to Oklahoma, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just felt like it was time for me to move on. I felt like um, I felt a peace that that God was opening doors for me to to move on and do something else besides football. And I didn't, I 
didn't know if I'd enter the corporate world. I thought I possibly would. And I didn't want to be somebody's 32, 33-year-old trainee competing with some 22, 23-year-old trainee that, yeah. that uh, you know, the CEO says, well, it's our Mike. He's 10 years younger. We get 10 years more productivity out of it. Um, so I didn't know if I'd entered a corporate world, didn't know what I would do. And I came back to Oklahoma and um, I got back to Oklahoma on December 7th, 1986. And a month and a half later, I was in youth ministry. Okay. I became a youth pastor at a local church and did that for eight years and had a great time, had a love affair with young people in the Midwest City, Dell City area, about a hundred kids and um, did that for eight years. And in the sixth year of my, um, um, uh, during the sixth year of that time, I ended up uh, running for public office and um, won statewide race, the Oklahoma Corporation Commission. Yeah. Served four years of a six-year term, the last two years as chairman. Then I ran for Congress, okay. and I won, and I was saying, okay, now what do I do? I've, I've won. So that kind of launched my career in Congress and sure. did that for eight years, and people are pretty much familiar with that, with those eight years. Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you go into youth ministry then, is it just, it just feels natural? You just think, you know, I'm going to, how does the opportunity come up? How does someone approach you and say, you know what, I th you got some time. I think you'd be great for this. Does someone come and say, you know, hey, just while you're finding your feet, do you want to, do you want to do this? Or was it more of a decision that you went to them? That, it's, it's usually, well, the way it happened with me, I, I, I did back in those days and still today do, I'll do a couple of events per year, even today, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And yeah. back in those days, during the off-season when I played in Canada, um, I spent some of my off-season traveling around the state and around the country for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, there was a fellow that owned a truck stop out, out um north of town on I-35, Jerry Brown owned Trucker's Village. And I'd gotten to know Jerry, and he knew a local pastor. And I had met this pastor once or twice, didn't know him personally. I just knew who he was. Well, he called me and asked me would I consider um, becoming their youth director. And Mike, I thought... I don't don't know anything about youth ministry. I usually go in and I speak at the youth event and then I'm gone. I don't have to stay there and design programs and right. your lock-ins and you know different things that you do. Um, so he, he approached me and we talked about it and I thought about it and just felt led to do that. Felt like that's what I was supposed to do. and. We thought, uh, well, let's let's try it for a year or so. In my mind, I'm thinking I'll try it for a year or so, and if it doesn't work, I'll move on. And did that um, for a year, and a year became eight years. And 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 there was even a point in time in my youth ministry that I thought I was going to end up being a senior pastor somewhere. That was my thinking that I was. Had a had a dream of, of someday being a senior pastor and um, pastoring a church, being the senior pastor of a church that you would walk in the church on Sunday morning and you'd see three or four thousand people and it looked like a United Nations. Yeah. You had red, yellow, brown, black and white people and 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 that's always been my vision of what a church should be. I I you know, when my wife and I, when we were looking for a place of worship, we were not looking for a church that looked like us or a church that looked like, you know, the governor or a church that looked like you or looked like Hernando. We wanted a church that looks like heaven. And I firmly believe that when you get to heaven, you're going to see 
white people and black people and red and yellow and brown people. And I think the church should be the model for how it should work, what diversity should be and what it should should look like and, and how you, you, you can get along and you can make it work and you can have a dinner that you have, um, you know, um, you know, um, burritos and, and you have uh, barbecue and, and, and you have whatever the white community eats and whatever the you, Indian tacos. I'm, you, you can have a church that in spite of the fact that there's yeah. different cultures in the church uh, that it can work. And I've been a part of two different churches like that and, and I think it's maybe a little bit tougher today because people uh, tend to make their, their, their Sunday, they make their senior pastor, they call him their pastor, but they allow the internet to be their teacher. And so, you know, when, when, that's what many pastors are dealing with today, and it, it, it's a little, little more challenging, but uh, nevertheless, I, I think um, you can be intentional and say, I don't want just people that looks like me to be in my congregation. I want people that looks like us, right. us being red, yellow, brown, black, and white. Yeah, yeah. So you, you take that role, you have a great time there, you're there for quite a while, and then, like you said, you, you run for you know, political office, statewide office. Um, again, is that someone coming to you and saying, you know, you'd be great at this, like just kind of pushing you in one direction, or was it not a natural, like... Well, I, I was, I, like... Many people that go into politics, I never thought that politics would be a career or that I would end up in, in politics. Uh, however, my uncle was the state president of NAACP okay. for about 16, 17 years. My father ran for um, chief of police and county sheriff down in my hometown of Eufaula. Um, so I grew up around politics. I just never um, thought that I'd someday run for public office. Um, I, you know, but um, I started to get a little unhappy being a, um, a, um, you know, a, a business person trying to start a business and trying to run a business. And, and I saw... Uh, faults on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. Um, and at the time, I had a friend. I was moaning to him, and he said, "You know, you should you should probably run." He said, "I, I think you could win." And you know, I, I thought that my base in Oklahoma was more suited. I had some people approach me about running for state senate down in Norman. But I felt like my base was statewide because of my FCA work. My, I, I'd spoken at probably 80% of the sports bank was in the state of Oklahoma, probably 70% of the commencements in the state of Oklahoma, probably 60% of the baccalaureates in the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, So I, I had a, felt like I had a pretty good base statewide. And as it turned out, I... I um, you know, I won that statewide race, and it was because of. And I never did that stuff thinking I'd someday run for office. I did it because, you know, my OU football had more to do with me doing those things and being invited to do those things than than any other thing. But nevertheless, it worked out, and the yeah, rest is history. Rest is I'm history. here talking to you about it. Yeah, too. exactly. Uh, so. Fill in the gap then, because I think we missed it a little bit. Like after you, after you're a pastor and youth pastor, you do you go into business that you you know you go into the John Deere stuff that side? No, I, no. I, I after um, after OU, I mean after Canadian football, I was in youth ministry. Yeah, but I had uh, you know tried to I did a little bit of, I had a construction okay. business Alongside at the time. It, yeah, you. okay, and um, tried to you know 
do something in the construction sure. business and uh, did a little real estate and kind of dabbled okay. in, in certain areas. Yeah. Well, because most people know that as a youth pastor, you don't get paid much, right? Yeah. So no, it, it's, youth it's, history, yeah. yeah. It's not lucrative <laughs> business, right? Yeah. The, uh, those soup lines came in helpful. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, well, yeah. And it's, it, you know, so, so like you said, you're, you're, in, you're a business owner, you know, you're not happy with what's going on and you decide to run and you get elected and um, am I right by saying you're the first uh, of African de- oh, first Oklahoman of African descent to win statewide office is that right? That's correct. What, That's correct I mean what take us to that time like what is the what is kind of like the state like at that time compared to now and obviously it's a lot different thankfully now but what was that like? Well Did it feel it, different it, to you? I, I, I wasn't uh, first of all I wasn't totally foreign mm-hmm. To, uh, to voters in Oklahoma because they knew me from right. Oklahoma football. They knew me from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say that I had a little bit of a head start mm-hmm. than I think most candidates would have had, black or white. Right. Um, you know, um, my, my, my football background, um, my time at the University of Oklahoma gave me visibility that most candidates, black or white, didn't have. Jack Mildren, the same year that I ran um, in 1990, Jack Mildren, who was uh, a former quarterback as well at the University of Oklahoma, ran for lieutenant governor as a Democrat, yeah. and, and he won. Okay, and so I, I think it 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 helped Jack as well. Now I, I think the difference was I didn't want I I didn't want people thinking that I was asking for their vote because I'd won two MVPs in the Orange Bowl. Sure. Jack used football in his commercials. Yeah. I, I stayed away from it completely. Okay. I wanted people to have some sense that, you know, this guy knows a little bit about oil and gas. He knows a little bit about public yeah. utilities. And and um, I'd also done a little bit of oil and gas. And so I, I, I was asking them to give me an opportunity to serve them at the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, not, I was asking them to vote for me to serve them in that capacity. Yeah. Don't vote for me because I was MVP because in the Orange Bowl. And yeah. so, and, and of course, Oklahoma football had gone through in 1980, let me see, in 1987-88, Oklahoma had gone through some difficult times and the football program um, with off off the field stuff, okay. and so um, they they had a raping incident, had a shooting incident, you know, had um, a player that had been busted for drugs, and so we had done some polling to see how people would view a former football player. Yeah. And it was a very negative thing. Now, when when it was a generic question about being a football player, uh, OU football player was very negative. However, when they qualified it and said, well, what about J.C. Watts? People said, oh, well, we think he's he's different. Because you were before that time. Because sure. I, I was before that time. And I think they knew a little bit of my, my character and my, my background and, and the work that I'd done in the state. But like like I said, I stayed away from it yeah. because I, I didn't I, I didn't feel like I, 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 I didn't want to give the impression I was running right. just because I was a former quarterback. Sure. So now if you came up to me and you wanted to talk about football, I'd talk to you about football. Yeah. I just never brought it up. And like I said, Jack ran his campaign totally different. Right. Uh, differently, he ran and he used some football footage in his. Now, uh, we can all, you know, guess or, or analyze or you know, um, you know, try to figure out why, but he had his reasons and I yeah. had my reasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, they both were successful, right? Yeah, they so, both worked. Yeah, that, that both works. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned earlier, like you you've done a lot of public speaking around, you know, like whether it's commencements or just leaderships, you know, speaking to people because of football. 
what what kind of why decide to do that like do you remember the first time someone asked you to come speak like how how you felt and just to because that's it, it it's a skill right and it's not easy to get up in front of a thousand people or ten people whatever it is but I'm interested in the decision that you decided to do that and then ultimately love doing it because you kept doing it well I growing up in in the black church I you know, my father was a pastor and 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 so. And, and I was from a family of ministers. And growing up in the black church, you're kind of forced into, if you're a, a, a kid in church, you're going to get your opportunities to lead. Okay. You're going to get your opportunities to pray. You're going to get your opportunities to speak uh, or to speak about something. And so I was, I, I think being raised in the church probably helped honed those those skills and, and gave me a little bit of uh, background with public speaking. I wouldn't have called it public speaking back then, but it, that that's what it was. And then I think being a quarterback, that um, I, I, I was just kind of drawn to leadership roles on the basketball team, on the baseball team on the football team you know I boxed for seven years and okay. I mean for three years had seven fights and so I think all of those athletic things that I did kind of kind of nurtured me and, and cultivated my my leadership skills yeah. my speaking skills um, and fortunately for me um, I ended up that being one of the the uh, things that I did yeah. to create a revenue stream for right. myself. And so you you put the opportunities to speak. Um, you, you, you look at the things that I've done in, in my world. Um, you know, you, you add 65 years of living yeah. on top of that and living in my world where... Um, many of the issues that we're talking about today, uh, I think I we, we talked about this briefly before. Many of the issues that we're that's on the front burner today, um, I have been, um, if not the topic of one of the topics of discussion, but or I have been in the arena where the discussion is being had. Women in the broadcast booth, women, women sports reporters. I remember in the mid '70s, it was unheard of for a woman to yeah. be a sports reporter. And today, you look at ESPN. Um, you know, today we say, "Why did it take so long?" Mm -hmm. um, you know, they they um, we we missed it. Yeah. Um, the Black Republican. Um, I've been, the, you know, in in that in the arena where that discussion is being had. The black quarterback. Yeah. I've been in the, the arena when that discussion yeah. is is had. And so, uh, I've, I've been on the business side of things. When you're talking about um, economic policy, um, so um, you know the character issues of of today. You know, I think my ministry has given me a unique, I don't want to say a unique perspective, but I think a, a perspective that's been tested. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, character still matters. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, um, I used to hear my grandmother and my parents, their generation, they would talk about numbers. And if, if you're gray hairs or no hairs and you're listening to this you can probably you will probably be able to relate to this but they used to call numbers characters uh -huh. and 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 i think the reason is is because character means that two plus two is four in japan or two plus two is four in the United States of America. <laughs> so I, I think that's why they called it character. It, it doesn't change. So, so 65, 65 years of living and, and I, I think the arenas that I've operated in, um, you know, when I'm public speaking, with the exception of, of when I'm 
preaching somewhere, rarely do I use notes. I just, hey, I've lived for 65 years. I've, I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've, I've been blessed to be able to see and do them. And, um, you know, diversity. I mean, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm I think we've, it's kind of run amok. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's out of control. But diversity to me simply means that I think in some arenas, you have to be intentional about creating opportunities. Okay. And I've got life experience or life experiences that um, would support my perspective on that because you know no one ever thought that I should be the quarterback but you had one coach that said I think we've got a quarterback playing fullback yeah and and he was intentional about about that um, I've had job opportunities simply because uh, a, a white gentleman chose to come across the railroad tracks and come into the east east side of, of Ufall, Oklahoma yeah. and say, I want to give two black kids an opportunity. Do you know do you know two? And I said, Well I'm one. I'll yeah. find my buddy. <laughs> you know, find one of my buddies. He was intentional about that. And and I think we can become so so um so close-minded, if you will, and we can be some become so insular in our own world that we we never think about them or they, and 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 we 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 surely never think that them or they are us. I, I can't. J. C. Watts, black guy, black American former football player, former congressman, they are me. Yeah. Them are, are me. And, but we, we, never, we never look at it like that. And, you know, if, if, if I was to, to show you, hold up my phone, now your, your listening audience won't be able to, yeah. to, to, to follow this, but I'm going to try to give an example of what I'm talking about. If I hold up my phone and I say, what do you see? You'll probably say what you see, and you probably see pictures. Now, where I'm sitting... That's not what I see. Right. I just see a, a black cover on it that says Otterbox on it. You see something totally different. And, you know, unless I choose to come around to your side of the phone and you come around to my side of the phone to see what we both are seeing, yeah. you know, you're always going to see them as them and they as they and not them and they as us. Yeah. And and again, my world and my world, I've been the one that that I could get them on my side of the phone to see what I was saying. And I wanted to go to their side of the phone to see what they were saying to get their perspective. You know, why is it that JC thinks like that? Have you ever thought about that? We don't. We just. You're right. Nobody thinks we, that. We just. We just. I and me. We, yeah. It's I and me. And, and I, I think ministry should teach us to say. I reserve the right to disagree with Mike, yeah. but I've got a greater appreciation for why he feels the way that he does. Right. And, and, and that's when progress is being made. Progress is made when, when, when and even culturally, mm. um, you know, progress is made when a person is willing to say, I know it's wrong to do it the way I'm doing it or to feel the way I feel, but culturally, this is what, the way I believed yeah. all of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I don't have any problem with people enjoying and celebrating their culture, but it doesn't make it right because we do, we've done it like that for the last 50 years. Right could be that we've done it wrong for the last 30 <laughs> but we we do get caught in our cultural 
you know, our cultural entanglements and we say, well, that's the way Big Daddy thought about it. That's the way Grandma thought about it. And that, that was her view of it. And, and we take on those cultural norms. Yeah. And, and that's 20, how it's always been. That's how it's, right? that's yeah. how it's always yeah. been. And progress, progress, if, if we are... If we're not willing to change, we never grow. And if, 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 if we are blaming, uh -huh. if we, in this culture that we live in today, you know, in politics, I find it interesting. I, I've almost become a political atheist yeah. that I don't believe either side in anymore. Because it's gone so far. It's gone so way, far. Right? And, and, and yeah. then we've gotten to the point that... Elected officials are no longer looking for solutions. They're looking for blame. Yeah. And if you're blaming, you, you're, you're never going to change. Yeah. You're never going to grow because the subconscious mind says that, that Mike is the reason that I am where I am today. And, and I'm not saying that bad things hadn't happened, sure. but, but I'm saying at some point in time, and I say this respectfully, and I don't say this in a hostile way, at some point in time, you've got to get over it. Yeah. Because if you're blaming, then in my subconscious mind, I justify that you're the problem uh -huh. and I don't have any responsibility right. to get over it or to get beyond the blame. So therefore, you, you never grow. And in, in your life, there's always going to be a hurdle that you're never going to be able to get over because you're able to blame right. someone else. And so, um, but anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. Tangent, <laughs> so, no, but, it's, it's but nevertheless. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so because of all that, then how, how was it then when you, like I said, when you ran for Congress and you were, you know, you, you were successful in, in, in winning and being a congressman, how has that last eight years then shaped kind of where we are today like how was your experience well i i i think the the, the thing today I, well in my career i've never been a, a group thinker sure to say you you have to think like the group mm -hmm. and 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 group thinking in and of itself is not a bad thing but when when, when group identity or group thinking gets to the point that it says, yeah, I know two plus two it and four, but we got to go along. We got to stick with each other. Then I reserve the right to say, no, I, I disagree. I'm not getting in that box with you if you think that two plus two is seven. And I think that's one of the biggest detriments we have today is because, you know, if, if, if Democrats say two plus two is seven, then Republicans, we think it's horrible. But if a Republican says two plus two is seven, Republicans think it's okay. If Democrats say two plus two is seven, Democrats think it's okay. So it's it's again the blame game. We don't hold each other accountable by the very rules that we establish. Yeah. To say, yeah, if, if, if it's Mike saying two plus two is seven, then I disagree with it. But if I say two plus two is seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody should agree with right. it. And and so I think we have to, uh, again, I don't say deny group identity or deny whatever group you're in, but I think we need to hold all groups accountable. And, and I think people today, politically, I think there's a group of people out there that just like me, they're political, they're almost political atheists that says we don't believe any of them anymore. We don't believe anybody anymore. Um, and, and, and I think it's because it's it's been so obvious over the last 20 years the thing that we that Republicans held Bill Clinton accountable for when it was our guy we said oh it's okay it's okay yeah you know and right. and so because our guy somehow or another was protecting our deal and now the Democrats if you recall I was in Congress and voted for impeachment with yeah. Bill Clinton yeah because he lied under oath and but now when in, in Republicans we just thought he was horrible. We thought Obama was horrible. 
But now when it was our guy doing some of the same things that we impeached Bill Clinton for, we thought, well, you know, we, we don't want our we don't want our president to be our pastor. I have felt like that all along. But, right. you know, our president should have something in common with yeah. our pastor. Well, and I think to that point, right, people aren't, like you said, everyone's in the group thing, right? So no one wants to stand out and say, you know, because then a lot of them are career politicians and, and they don't want to risk their career. Right? They don't want to stand out and say, no, I don't believe this, because then maybe next year they're not reelected and they don't have a job. That's what kind of, there's a lot of that, right? That, 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 that's true. You know, and, and I think um, Abraham Lincoln, I think had, Abraham Lincoln had it right when he said, we all face adversities mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we, we get over it. But he went on to say, if you want to know a person's real character, give them power. And, and that's when you see a person's real character. I, I, re, I remember I, I was watching one of the morning shows, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, I don't know, Good Morning America Today. I don't remember which, what it was, but we had a Republican governor on and they were asking him about um, the former president, former President Trump, and all the scandals and um, the lawsuits and so forth and so on. And he said, you know, my constituents don't want to talk about that. He said, they want to talk about the economy. They want to talk. Well, I was, I was saddened by that simply because he was saying, we don't want to talk about character. We don't want to talk about integrity. You know, as a leader, I feel like I have some responsibility. As a, as a leader in my church, as a leader in my business, as a leader in my community, as a leader on the football team, as a leader on the basketball team, as a leader in, in, in Little League soccer or, or Pee Wee League baseball, um, you know, does, does John Moran have any responsibility as the face of the ball club to, 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 to be in a club at 2 o'clock in the morning with a gun? Um, if, if you've got to take a gun to a club at 2 o'clock in the morning, that tells you you don't need to be at that club to be there. if you need to have a gun to be there. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's what leadership is. It's about... It's about Character. It's yeah. about integrity. And, and when you lose, as, as a leader, when you say, we don't want to talk about the character issues. And, and, I, and, I, and, and, and let me tell you, you, you've got a very flawed individual behind this microphone talking about character. You've got a, a very dysfunctional guy sitting behind this microphone talking to you today about, about character. And I admit I'm a, dis, a dysfunctional guy. We all are dysfunctional. It's just a matter of degree. I'm more dysfunctional than you. You're more dysfunctional than Sally. Sally's more dysfunctional than, than, than Ruby. Ruby's more dysfunctional than, than Juanita. We all are dysfunctional. It's just a matter of degree. We, we're born into the world being dysfunctional, bent the wrong way. So it's not a tragedy to be dysfunctional. The tragedy is when JC and Mike allows their dysfunction to become their normal. Right. And that's what's happened to us. Yeah, our dysfunction is our normal. We see things happening in our culture that Gosh, Martin Luther King would turn over in his grave when character was such a big deal to him. Ronald Reagan would turn over in his grave because character was was important to him. Um, You know, we've got Mother Teresa would turn over in her grave. Uh, Some of the things that's happening today, Adrian Rogers... Yeah, I mean, it goes on and and, and on. And, And when we say... Or when we are afraid to talk about the character issues because we're afraid that some politician or, or, or former president, Republican or Democrat, will take a shot at us, um, so be it. You know, I, I'm, I'm secure enough in who I am that I don't think people not liking me is going to keep me from my destiny. So because my destiny is not tied up to who they think I am or what they say about me. Yeah. No, you're you're right. It's I agree. Um, 
you're, you know, there's there's a lot of work to be done, right? <laughs> like it's, and uh, there will always be work to be done. Sadly. But, but, like, but you know, there is there's there's a lot of work to be done because you're dealing with sinful men and women, you and me included. Yeah. yeah. And and so yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. However, it makes the client, it makes the mountain extremely, extremely difficult. Uh-huh. If we can't face the truth, mm-hmm. yeah. we can't face the facts. That comes back to character. Come, it comes back to character. You, yeah. you bet it does. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I mean, the misinformation, the disinformation. Um, I mean, we've gone through, we've had over 60 courts, over 60 courts. How, how do we settle our differences in America? If I have a problem with you in business or ch- you and I have differences of opinions or how something happened, what do we do? We take it to court and we sell it in a court of law with the, with the facts and with testimony. Over 60 different courts said there was no election fraud. Over 60. And most of them were appointed by the former president or they were Republican judges that said no. And and people will say, well, yeah, we've got a theory on on, on how that happened, but we can't blame it. You can't go into a court of law with a theory unless you can unless you can you can prove it. I I got I got a text just a week ago from a good friend of mine that said a hundred. I've got 100% rock-solid proof that the election was stolen. I said, why has it not been presented in a court of law? Right. I never heard, I've not heard from him since then. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. That's why no no mountain's going to be smooth because you couldn't climb it if it was smooth. But we are making the mountain extremely, extremely difficult to climb when we advocate misinformation, disinformation, or just flat out untruths, yeah. that, that that's not healthy healthy for right. for our culture. Yeah, and and I mean, you're doing since what since 2020, you got you have a black news channel. Is that right? Tell me about that. We, the Black News Channel, we sold that. Okay. Uh, Shad Khan, okay. the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, was was the majority owner. And okay. he was did, that because of all the disinformation and all the... Oh, people no, can't trust the news, no. we're going to found our own? What, it, it where, just, where, that, where does that come the, from? The, the station, you know, he pulled out. We had our investor that pulled out on us. And so Byron Allen uh, on owns... The, the distribution owns okay. the, the assets of the channel today, and so I'm not associated. Yeah. I was a chairman of the news channel, and I'm no That's longer it. associated with it because we don't own it anymore. Byron Allen bought, okay. uh, yeah. bought the assets. What's the reason, like, were you, you're a chairman, were you during, like, the founding of it, or were you brought in after? Yeah, no, I, I was one of the, I was okay. one of the two founding partners. What founding was the decision partners. to do that? And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't think that the, the news channel uh, I don't think it 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 made it because it was um, it was misinformation. Okay. I just think it 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 my differences with the channel was that there was just one perspective. Sure. And 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 even if it's the perspective of a certain community, I think a, a, a journalistic organization. Uh, uh, I still think you have a responsibility to give perspectives that may be different than mine. Yeah. There was a need and, for it, right? Pardon me? There was a need for it. It, it was a need for yeah. it. You, you bet it was. And and I, I think CNN and Fox, I think they have, you know, somewhat of the same challenge. And right. we've seen just in the last three weeks, you know, Fox settled with Dominion, uh, the voting machines, and it, it's come out in all of the depositions and 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 uh, you know the facts or, or the testimony that was given is that they knew they were not being truthful. Yeah. And so, in spite of the fact that you may be giving a perspective, that's one thing. 
but when the perspective is just blatant lies right. and publicly you say one thing but behind closed doors you say another then I, I, and in being a journalism major I, I think that that hurts journalism and that's the reason yeah. that so many people red, yellow, brown, black and white they say we, we don't trust the media. I think what the media has done uh, has largely been, uh, they've largely committed mm -hmm. sins against themselves by not being tethered to the truth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, with, with you being journalism major and, and I guess having a passion for writing, you've written some books too. I did. I've, I've, written, I've written two books. Yeah. Um, first was What Colors Are Conservative, okay. um, My Life and My Politics, and the second one was um, Dig Deep, mm -hmm. uh, Seven Truths to Finding the Strength Within. Mm -hmm. Great, just fun and, experience to do both. Uh, two different, two totally different books, right? They, they were. Um, the first one, What Colors Are Conservative, was my life and my politics, was, was more on the autobiographical side, and, and uh, and um, based on that, or, or it was it was it was written based on the fact that I could not have told you as a senior in college, or even when I got into politics, what a liberal or conservative was. But I could have told you how my parents raised me. Mm -hmm. They raised me to hey treat people the the way you want to be treated. You don't waste. Um, you, 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 you work hard, um, yeah. be responsible for the choices that you make. And I've made some knuckleheaded choices in my life. Right. Um, you know, th those, th those are the principles that I was raised by. Uh -huh. And, and, and of course you put that, all of those things are supported by biblical principles. And so um, I, I didn't write what colors are conservative to to be a conservative necessarily. I, I I just wrote it to say there's no particular community that has a lock or or has a monopoly yeah. on treating people the way you want to be treated. Uh -huh. You don't waste. Um, if you buy your bed, you sleep in it. Um, be responsible. Um, no, no community has a lock on those things, and those are the things I think that have fundamentally made America who we are today. Now you say, JC, who we make, made America who we are today? We we are in chaos and. Right, there's some serious things going on, but I'm not willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot of craziness going on out there, but there's a lot of good things going on in the country, and we don't highlight those things. We just look at you know what's what's wrong with with the country. We yeah. we never focus on what's right, and uh, I happen to believe and can prove there's a lot of right things going on that we we don't focus on. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, I agree. And um, I, for people listening, I'm sure they can still find the books online, no doubt. I'm yeah, uh, Dig Deep, um, you can get that. It, it's, it, it, I didn't write it as a, that's not a political book. Sure. People thought that it was. But I published it about eight, nine years ago. Okay. And, and, um, and when I wrote the book, it was, I think it deals with a lot of the things going on today, but it wasn't written. It was kind of written to do that. Yeah. It was just kind of a doing life better sure. kind of book. Yeah. Uh, kind of bringing things to current day, you're on the board at Paycom. What's it like being on the board of a massive Oklahoma company that's just doing great things for the state? Well, not only are they uh, providing jobs in the state of Oklahoma, and tax revenue in the state of Oklahoma. I'm, 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 uh, I've got an economic philosophy that says we don't need more taxes, we need more taxpayers. Yes. Well, they, you know, on, on their campus, you know, there are well over three thousand taxpayers out there, and and um, um, so a technology company mm -hmm. in the state of Oklahoma that's 
that's um, that that oil and gas has been awfully good to agriculture has been good to our state oil and gas has been very good to our state but we've got a technology company here and um, one of the great things about being on their board is I don't have to get on an airplane to go to a board meeting. <laughs> That's a huge difference. Yeah. That's what makes a huge difference. Yeah, and, and so I serve on their board, and I serve on the uh, Dillard's department stores. I'm, I'm on their board. And, and so most of my work today is advisory, um, consulting, my, my board work, et, et, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be associated with, with Paycom and, and – uh, and what they've done and contributing to the economics of our state. Yeah. To the kind of point of the economics, you, you mentioned at the start, private equity fund is kind of what you're planning, you know, raising a private equity fund right now. Let's finish with that. What's kind of, you know, what's the goal with that? Why you decided to do something like that? Well, I, you've got private equity firms in Oklahoma, but mm-hmm. they, they don't invest in Oklahoma companies. Sure. Um, we've started a private equity fund, and, and it's been quite interesting to see um, how corporate Oklahoma um, has responded to, to, to J.C. Watts. You know, like I said, I've never made a living in Oklahoma, and you know, I kind of felt like we had some low-hanging fruit with some relationships that I had here that... that um, that um, I, I thought we could get to invest with us, and I and I, I, I remain uh, optimistic that, that we will. But it's it's nevertheless been been interesting to, to see, you know, um, how corporate Oklahoma and how corporate America how they responds when you know, black man walk in with the coat and tie on and say, we're not looking for a contribution to Greenwood Rising or to the Clear Looper Plaza. We're, we're looking to have a seat at your economic table. Um, it, it's been interesting to see how people yeah. have responded uh, to that. And, and I've, in, in my public life, I've not forgotten about the marches at Martin Luther King and Clara Looper. I've, I've, I've benefited from those, those marches, but um, it's not equity to, to give $30,000 to Greenwood Rising. Uh, it's equity when uh, people who are qualified can sit at the economic table and, uh, you know, create legacy wealth. And, and, and that's, I've always focused on that. And, and, you know, George, George Walker Bush, George W. Bush, um, used to talk about in terms of education, I think he framed it as when he was talking about kids learning, he, he, he talked about, um, um, the soft bigotry of low expectations, Mm -hmm. I think is how he he framed it. Well, it's um, it's been interesting to walk into offices and and ask for a seat at the economic table. Um, how people how people have viewed that yeah. because they're, they're uh, quite frankly, and I don't say this to be hostile or, or to be mean. I love Oklahoma. I think we've got some great corporations here. But um, I still think it's been taking a little getting used to yeah. <laughs> you know, to see somebody like me walk in and say, hey, I'm, I'm starting a private equity fund. Um, I'm, uh, we've got a best-in-class management team. Um, we're going to invest in Oklahoma companies. Um, we'd, we'd like for you to, you know, invest with us and um, so it's been interesting but I I remain hopeful and optimistic that we're going to we're going to get there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, last question, then finishing up. You're inducted the Oklahoma Hall of Fame in 2019. Tell me about that moment. Who uh, who introduced you as well on stage? Coach Switzer okay. um, presented me, and um, don't think I could have had anybody else, anyone <laughs> better than Coach Switzer outside of my father. But he obviously wasn't uh, wasn't here, and and um, but uh, Coach Switzer 
presented me, and, and I remain grateful that Coach Switzer in 19, in February of 1976, he uh, extended an invitation for me to, to uh, be adopted into the Oklahoma Sooner family. And it's been a great ride, a, a, a great journey, and, and, and I still, being on the board of the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, and I get to see the kind of people that, <clears throat> the type of people who were nominated to become Oklahoma State Hall of Famers, and I'm still scratching my head wondering how, how I made the cut. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, um, yeah. it, it's pretty amazing. And, but I, as I said, the night of my induction, um, I, am, I am honored and, and thrilled um, beyond words that somebody, the people on the election committee or selection committee, uh, thought the story of Oklahoma would not be complete without the story of J.C. Watson Jr. being a part of it. So it was quite a thrill for me and my, my family, and, and um, um, it's, it's been a good, good relationship. I, I'm on their board, and, and again, I continue to just see fascinating people that's contributed to yeah. who we are as a state. And, and, and finally, I also said in, in, uh, in my induction speech that um, PACOM has you know, created thousands of jobs in the state of Oklahoma. Our oil and gas industry yeah. has created thousands of jobs in, 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 uh, in, in the state of Oklahoma. Agriculture, I mean, it's, many people yeah. have contributed to Oklahoma, but many industries. But, but the strength of our, of our state, it's not, it's not technology, it's not oil and gas, it's not agriculture. The strength of Oklahoma is it's, it's our people. Mm -hmm. it's, it's you and me, it's us, our hopes, our dreams, our ideas, our, our ambitions, but most importantly, it's our goodness. And we've talked about the Oklahoma standard. I hear people talking about the Oklahoma standard occasionally, and, and, and I, I think there is, every state has an Oklahoma standard, but I can't tell you about theirs. I can tell you about ours. And I can tell you that a kid from Ufall, Oklahoma, that grew up on the east side of the railroad tracks in Ufall, Oklahoma, that couldn't swim in the public swimming pool till he was about in the fourth grade, had to sit in the balcony of the movie theater, couldn't sit down below with his, with his white friends um, because of Jim Crow. Uh, some of his team quit, quit the team when they moved him to quarterback that because of people like Buddy and Helen Watts and Barry Switzer and, um, you know, the Selman boys who just gave me a great picture of what it was supposed to look like, um, Perry Anderson, my high school basketball coach, Four Blood Creek Indian, Paul Bell, uh, a, a white guy, my father, they had a triangle around me that was ironclad that in spite of how knuckleheaded I tried to be <laughs> they, they would kind of bend me back into some kind of you know uh, structure that could that could be productive that that kid ended up in the uh, United States Congress and, and, and the Oklahoma Hall of Fame it's that's that's what's possible in this state that we all call home and the rest of the world calls Oklahoma. Yeah. What a great way to finish. Uh, thank you so much for coming down. Um, I love that you're not done yet, right? You're still building, you're still, you know, making a legacy and, and creating your legacy. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's fantastic what you've done and, and what you continue to do. So I appreciate you coming back. Thank you so much. And uh, for people listening, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do
And our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them, do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by the Choctaw Nation. The Choctaw people have a rich history and a bright future. At the Choctaw Cultural Center, you can take part in a story 14,000 years in the making. Stroll through our immersive exhibits portraying Choctaw life from the moment our ancestors emerged from the Nani Weihai in Mississippian homelands to the Trail of Tears, where we lost so many loved ones, and finally to the modern-day tribe making a positive impact on local communities throughout southeastern Oklahoma. Try your hand at our social dancing and stickball and learn more about our vibrant culture through demonstrations, workshops, and classes. The kids will have a blast in our Luxie Activity Center. The Choctaw Cultural Center is more than a museum. It's a living, breathing experience. Visit ChoctawCulturalCenter.com to plan your visit. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.